You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. In episode 96, I spoke with Gary Moran about how to prune amenity trees correctly. But do the same rules apply to fruit trees as well? In this episode, Scott Smith is back on the show to answer this question with a resounding not quite and to teach us how to do it properly, no matter what shape of apple tree you're aiming for. He's the head gardener for Pitt Medden and Haddo House Gardens for the National Trust for Scotland and you might remember him from episode 110, Maintaining Heritage Formal Gardens in the UK. G'day Scott, welcome back to the show mate. Hello again Dan, yeah great to be back, thank you. Um, Here we go, number two. Number two. So Scott, in episode 96, Gary Moran taught us how to prune amenity trees like he does as an urban forester. But in fruit production, we have different goals. So what do we achieve by correctly pruning apple trees? Well, quite simply, fruit, more specifically apples in this instance. Um, You know, pruning correctly allows for fruit that is edible. And overall, pruning an apple tree correctly, it allows for one that's healthy, productive, and aesthetically pleasing. When I say edible fruit, um, I do so because many people produce a lot of fruit on their apple trees, but it can be quantity over quality, especially if they don't prune them properly. And when they fail to thin, you know, the fruitlets at the right time, we'll we'll talk about this more later, um, you know, so they can end up with, you know, a multitude of rock hard, inedible apples. Many people are scared to prune in case they do it wrong, but by avoiding pruning, all you do is fail to allow the tree to produce the fruit and spurs, which would, you know, flower, thereby become pollinated, create the fruitlets, which become the fully grown apples. Um, Don't don't get me wrong, I have seen some very badly pruned apple trees, which have just been randomly hacked, and that's about the worst thing you can do, because they then require restoration, which can take about three years or so to do. Um, so if in doubt, read up, find some examples to look at. You know, YouTube's a wonderful source of many good pruning videos. Um, there's decent books from the likes of the RHS and Dr. Hussain's guides. You know, they're always a winner. Um, I myself am always an advocate of getting out and giving it a go. It's it's worth asking to maybe shadow a professional, attend a workshop, or volunteer at a site that does apple pruning. Um, because, you know, the, the downside of leaving apples unpruned is the tree will continually put on vegetative leafy growth through undesirable new branch and shoots. Um, branches will wildly appear throughout the tree. The overall shape will quickly become an overgrown tangled mess. So, I mean, if you think about a tree laterally, you know, they essentially want to become as big and dominant in the landscape as possible, you know, in order to create a larger canopy, ergo more leaves to photosynthesize, which will produce the sugars and nutrients for growth. That'll allow them to, you know, have bigger roots to compete for water and nutrients in the soil. Um, you know, and in terms of propagation, they'll do so by producing many smaller fruits, the seeds of which are eaten by a vector, like say birds. And you know, they'll they'll eat it, process the seeds, and defecate them far away from the mother tree. And you know, in turn, that's how the progeny is made for the tree. You know, an apple tree does not care about producing a few big shiny apples for us, like you see in the supermarket. You know, nor does it care about having a perfect form or shape pleasing. By pruning, you know, as a gardener, you're manipulating the tree to do your will. Um, as with all forms of gardening, you know, we alter nature to fit our own selfish needs. Unless you approach it from a, a wild, 
you know, a rewilding type approach or ethos, um, then that, that, that's what we're doing. We're kind of always combating nature. Anytime you go into a beautiful, neat garden, that's human manipulation. You know, if you leave a garden for a year and see what it looks like side by side, <laughs> very, very different. Um, pandemic in, in 2020 was a great chance for testing that. You know, you could go and see a garden that was left for a year and you go like, holy smokes, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was in spring for us. We were all locked down in spring uh, in Melbourne. So you can imagine spring <laughs> spring in Melbourne can be a very hectic time for maintenance gardeners because the, the grass can just grow crazy. And certainly 2020 was no different. Uh, and, yeah, it ended up being eight weeks or it could have even been longer that we were all locked up and trying to catch our tails after that was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I guess we're going to be talking about apple trees specifically today, and there are different types of fruit trees, right? So do the rules that we're talking about here apply to all apple tree or rose family members? Uh, no. So so the likes of apples and pears can be treated quite similarly. But, you know, say fruits like plums and apricots, they're of the genus Prunus rather than malice for apple or pyrus for pear. Um, as plums and apricots are pruned you know they're pruned at a different time of year let's say plums for example in the uk they're pruned late spring to midsummer because of their vulnerability to silverleaf disease which is prevalent during the winter um if you're not sure you know silver silverleaf is a fungal disease where the infectious spores are most most active from say september to may um they have a tendency to enter open wounds caused by pruning um you know winds will obviously naturally callous over but in the interim in winter when the tree is dormant um the wounds can take a long time to close up until the sap flow starts again so they're vulnerable so we don't prune during that time um you know silver leaf will cause silvery colored um foliage uh during the summer and branch dieback will occur so fruit like plums you know they're also kind of pruned slightly with a different methodology to apples you know in that you know uh, let's say an established fan trained plum tree that'll have its um shoots you know pruned or pinched back to say six pair of leaves above a lateral blanch from the from the basal cluster whereas with apples and pears they're much shorter they're about one to three pairs of leaves above the basal cluster um the basal cluster is it's the natural point where you'll see the leaf buds begin to shoot out from the sort of woody branch if you like right so that's the the sort of spring growth that's happening and you'll see them the flowers and the leaves are all sort of coming out of the same spot is that what you mean um well so that you know you, you will get um areas that will just produce leaf um what you're doing by pruning is you're trying to create the fruiting spurs so the fruiting spurs will be the part which actually produce blossom um and, you know, the blossom is what gets pollinated by the bees, which produces the little fruitlets, which we then thin to a couple of decent apples or decent pears or whatnot. Um, and then that will become your final fruit. So the, that's why the pruning is it's crucial to make sure you get that fruit and wood. Okay. So we touched on time of year to prune there. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you tend to prune whilst the tree is dormant. So in winter... Where we are, uh, we prune around January in the UK in order to create the fruit and spur system, as we talked about. Um, around mid-June, we do the thinning of the fruitlets. 
And then later on in summer, around late August, you know, we prune our specialist tree types like our espaliers and fans and so on. Um, if you're confused, don't worry. That's good. It just shows you're listening that you're human. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm trying to keep up here. <laughs> or you're already an expert, in which case, you know, why listen to this? You've not got someone else to get on with me. <laughs> um, it, it took me a while to get my head around this system. You know, as an apprentice, it makes sense to me now. But um, you know, the majority of our apples at Pitmedden are spur bearing. So with apples and pears, there's kind of two types: there's spur bearing or there's tip bearing. Well, not to be confusing, there's actually a third. There, there's partial tip bearers, which are a cross between the two. But um, tip, tip bearing are slightly more unusual. It means that they produce the fruit at the very end of their tips. So these are pruned differently as the side shoots on the laterals. So laterals is, you know, the kind of branch that goes off to the side from the main stem. Um, so the shoots that come off the laterals are left to get to around 20 centimetres or so in length. Um, and then that way they'll produce blossom at the tips and, you know, therefore the fruit, as we discussed. Um, so they appear much longer than, you know, a tight spur system. Um, the stir, spur system looks a bit more like, you know, like little gnarly nodules along the lateral branches. Um, mm. So what we do in, in winter is we, we prune to create the fruit and spur system to produce the apple blossom um, because these are actually created on two-year-old wood. So you're kind of almost pruning for the following year's fruit, if you like. Um, so basically by pruning any shoots from the lateral branches back to about two pairs of buds above the basal cluster, um, it means that you're always, you know, creating something for the following years. What we also do is we leave any shoots shorter than 20 centimeters as they'll get pruned next time. And, you know, again, that means you've always got something to be pruning in the future, if you like, to create future uh, fruit and wood. So, you know, a good rule of thumb that we use is the sort of length of your secateur handles. They're roughly about 20 centimeters long or so. So if the shoot's shorter than that, then you leave it. Um, if it's longer than that, then you can prune it to two buds. So, I mean, that, that, that system works for me with my Felco number twos, but you know, everybody's got different secateurs. I'm just saying it's a rough, rough rule of thumb really. Hmm. Um, Winter pruning, it's a, it's a good chance to assess the overall shape of the tree to see its full outline without foliage. You know, it gives you a chance to assess what areas are open or missing woods that could be tied in um, to train new growth into those areas. It also allows a thorough check over for issues like, say, canker that could be missed in the summer. Um, so if, you're, if you've not heard of it, canker is a fungal disease of apples that causes sunken dead areas of bark which then kind of spread systematically throughout the branches and cause branch death. So, you know, it's a good chance to cut those back out to healthy tissue. And, you know, you would, of course, burn the affected areas, you know, because you, you can't really compost that kind of stuff. Um, the thinning, as we talked about, thinning the fruitlets. So what we have, certainly in the UK, is um, after your winter prune, you know, you get your blossom, bees come along, pollinate it. And then you produce all these little tiny clusters of fruit. It's called the fruitlets. Um, so what we do here is we thin them so that you don't have like eight little tiny apples. You know, you want one big, strong, or maybe even two strong apples. Um, at Pitmedden, we have so many apples that we can afford to prune to one strong <laughs> apple per cluster. Um, but some people like to keep it to two. Um what you tend to do with the thinning is in, you'll notice the central fruit in the cluster called the king fruit. Um, it always grows in a really weird, odd shape. So we tend to take the king fruit out. 
And then what you do is you pick one or two of the remaining fruits, a strong one, you know, preferably one that's got no blemishes or issues. Um, you know, we can get things like, you know, rust and that, and that kind of issue sometimes. Um, so, you know, or scab, you know, so, you know, you pick a good fruit that looks healthy uh, and you leave that and that will become, you know, a big, healthy, juicy apple that you actually want to eat. If you don't do the thinning, what you can potentially do is end up with eight or nine tiny little bullet hard sour fruits that are no good to anyone, unless you want to make a chutney or something like that. Um, so basically, you know, by, by thinning, it lessens the demand of the resources on the tree. Um, and it also allows you for a more consistent crop. You know, uh, if you don't thin, you can get the phenomenon called biannual bearing. Uh, so that tends to be when you get a bumper crop one year and the next year you get hardly anything. And that's because the trees put so much energy into the, the year of the bumper crop. Um, I mean, I have actually heard people wrongly say, you know, apples always have a great year and a bad year, similar to masting. You know, masting is a, a process in nature where trees and woodlands might produce multiple seeds one year and then hardly any in the following years. And, and that's a a natural phenomena so that the seedlings have a chance to grow on the forest floor with less competition and then the tree won't produce more because it gives it a few years for those seedlings to grow before it puts more out mm. um but you know that's that's untrue you know apples <laughs> will fruit well every year if you look after them and you prune them properly so you know <laughs> um the, the final stage of the pruning is of course the summer prune that takes place about late August. And what we do with that is we prune back all the big, glorious foliage that suddenly appeared from the shoots, um, from the non-pollinated fruit and spurs. Um, so we cut them back once the sort of bottom third of those shoots have become stiff and woody. We prune them back to two pairs of buds. Um, and you'll notice your tree suddenly looks super neat and tidy again once you've done that. It looks good. Um, and that what that does is it allows the air and light to get in about maturing, ripening fruit. Uh, it also helps the tree to redirect the energy it was expending on foliar vegetative growth, uh, and it allows it to put that energy into the development of the fruit. So that's kind of the part and part. So we kind of have three stages. We have the winter prune, the June thin, and then the summer prune. Well, and then, of course, the big harvest, you know, that's a, another job in itself. <laughs> and when does the harvest happen? Uh, so for us in Pitmedden, well, naturally our trees will be ready. We have different cultivars are kind of ready at different times. So some of the earlier ones might kick off about end of August, start of September. Um, and the later ones, like say a Bramley seedling, could be ready about mid-October. Um what we have in the garden, though, is an event every September. So it's the last Sunday in September. So this year it's on the, the 25th. Um, and what we do is we harvest all the apples prior to that. Um, it's it's a lot of work. We basically, we harvest all the apples. We grade them. So they're either first class, so that's top notch, perfect, no problems. Second class, not quite as good as first, um, you know, maybe a partial mark or maybe it's slightly on the smaller side, that kind of thing. Um, or maybe the stalks not perfect, um, and then after that, you know, they're bagged by variety in kilo bags. So you know, you'll get a kilo of first class, a kilo of second class. Second class are obviously a little bit cheaper than the first class ones. Um, fruit that's maybe got um, partial damage can be sent to the kitchens because the kitchens 
make apple pies and, and apple bakes and, and, you know, kind of sweet treats, that type of thing. Um, any apples that are too small for use, they tend to go to uh, a local gentleman who makes cider for us. He makes champagne, champ, champagne cedar. It's, it's a fancy, it's yeah, sparkly champagne. It tastes quite nice. Um, sort of cidery, appley. Um, you know, he ends up with usually about 500 odd kilos of our fruit for his, for his cider making. Um, anything that really can't be used, uh, goes to the local pigs. So the pig farms, they get it for a wee treat. Um, and then after Apple Sunday, any apples that haven't been sold, I mean, it, it usually sells out, but any apples that haven't sold go to a local food bank. So there's no wastage at all. So, uh, just the way, because of the nature of how we're set up for the event, we harvest everything about the third week of September, you know, in the run up to Apple Sunday. Um, that's a busy old week, picking it all, grading it all, bagging it all, getting it ready for sale, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we always say keep a calculation. We keep tabs on what we've got, how much we've harvested, the numbers, um, how many first class, how many second class, so that each year we can kind of analyze the data and see what, what apples are doing well, what apples are maybe not doing so well, and why that is, you know, it helps us to look into it later on. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, right. Fantastic. So I guess, do we need to prune every tree every year? Well, ideally, yes. I mean, do you need to thoroughly weed every spring? Yes, you do. Um, (laughs) The reason is because if you leave it, you're only really going to create more work for yourself later on. So in order to get the best results from your tree, prune every year and you'll find that by staying on top of it, you actually have less work to do in the long run. Um, you know, by pruning in winter, you'll ensure a continuous cycle of fruit and wood. You'll be able to keep the tree overall in the correct train shape that you want it to be in. Um, so yeah, yeah. Prune every year. Yep. Every year. What tools do you recommend we use? Should we just, uh, is it chainsaws, uh, hand saws? Are we talking about secateurs, loppers, all of the above? Um, I think if you're getting the chainsaw out, there's something gone wrong, or uh, maybe you've got a really, really big overgrown tree. Um, typically what we use, um, we kind of have secateurs. Um, we have you know a handheld little pruning saw, maybe even a larger pruning saw if it's a big branch to come off. Um, we tend to use bypass loppers. They're almost you know like just giant secateurs with long handles. Um, I, I don't really like anvil loppers. Uh, so those are the ones that you put in the kind of ratchet shot. You know, they always tend to crush the wood. They don't really give a neat cut or a neat finish. Um, they're a bit thuggish, really. So, um, I, you know, it, it's important to know the limits of your tools that you use. You know, secateurs, you may be used to cut things about a finger thickness. You know, bypass loppers, maybe two, two to three finger thickness, you know, 10 centimeters. Basically, you should feel it want to cut you know if it strains and you've got to push hard you're not using the right tool um you know pruning saw for branches maybe up to 20 centimeters you know if not it'll maybe need a bigger pruning saw like a bow saw or something like that um what we tend to use as well is it's important to sterilize your equipment so we what we tend to do is uh we have a product called hortiset um and sounds funny but we have like old jam jars so we tend to put the hortisept in, dilute it to the correct rate, um, take our little jam jars out, you know, so you can shove it in your wheelbarrow without it spilling everywhere. Um, 
And then what we do is we dunk our secateurs and give them a wipe between each apple tree. Or if you're pruning the apple tree and you you know you come across where you're cutting out a bit of disease or something like that, then you'll also sterilize after pruning out that bit of diseased area so that you're not spreading it to the rest of the tree. Um, other tools might be you know a ladder. Uh, we have henchmen, which are great. They're sort of a tripod ladder. They're aluminium, so they're super light. Uh, you know they extend up and down to varying heights um you know you probably need string or maybe something stronger than string to to tie in areas if you're doing tying in um you'll probably need buckets wheelbarrows you know things to put your prunings into um with the prunings you know you can shred them you know you can even chip them if it's healthy um but anything as as i mentioned before if it's diseased or I would have a tendency to burn that to be on the safe side because you don't really want to start putting disease things into your compost heap and then you're going to spread it around your garden, you know. So um, mm. any unhealthy foliage that's down on the ground, any, you know, unhealthy wood or anything like that, it's better off kind of burnt or incinerated. Really. Yeah. Is there a danger in pruning too much or too little off of your apple tree? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, really, if you prune too little, um, by, by too little, I mean, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of not hard enough, uh, when I would think too little, mm. um, then you don't really get the fruit and spurs like you desire. That's why, you know, we say we cut it to one or two buds above the basal cluster. If you leave it too long, you won't really produce those fruit and spurs as, as required to get blossom. Before you go on, can I get you to tell us what is the basal cluster? Can you explain that for us again? Um, so the basal cluster is the point that you'll naturally see coming off the lateral branch. So if you imagine an espalier tree, so an espalier tree has got a big central trunk going right up and down the middle. Um, it'll have lateral branches, so in sort of increments of every couple of feet or every foot, you'll see these branches that come horizontally out in a straight line from the main branch. So that's your laterals. The basal cluster will be on those laterals. You'll see little bits of wood that come out. And what they do is they kind of come out and then the shoots that go uh, vertically up from that, you know, this is the the basal cluster point. So it's almost where wood comes out and joins where your fresh shoots are coming out. So it's important to prune those fresh shoots down to a couple above above that basal cluster point because that will be what produces your fruit and wood when you're talking about espaliers. Okay. Ba- so I've never done this before. I'm just going to Google basal cluster because I just don't understand that term. Basal. I just want to get a picture of it. Basal cluster apple tree. Mm-hmm. So is it like, it's not the branch collar. Is that like the similar sort of a thing that you mean like the branch collar or... It's essentially, you know, the the area where your fresh new growth comes from out of the older Okay. Wood. Right, so it's like the nubbin that you prune back to, so it's like if you're pollarding, that's is that a sort of a similar Yes. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So like you're pollarding it back to this or like when you're winter pruning your roses, you sort of take them back to a nubbin that may have already been pruned to before. Yeah, I mean, if you Google a definition, it just says the rosette of closely spaced leaves growing from the base of the curtain year's wood. 
which doesn't make it any more obvious what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're an audio podcast, so sometimes things are difficult to explain because we want to go deep with the topic, but we also want to be able to keep it approachable. Yeah, it, it's essentially the junction between new and old growth. Okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe I think a good, a good definition is um, it's the junction between the old and the new growth. I see. That that makes it much more easy to sort of um, visualize. So there will be links in the show notes as well for you to check out um, some YouTube tutorials so that you can get a visual of what we're talking about. So thanks for touching on that for me, Scott. That's okay. That's kind of sometimes the issue with, um, you know, like this type of format when you're talking about pruning. That's why I say it's great to shadow a professional or to see it in person. You know, for me personally, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a visual learner. I like to see it. I like to do it myself. Um, you know, even sometimes books, which give you a visual guide, are just not quite the same as actually getting out there and trying it yourself. Um, so, you know, I, I, I am trying to trying to give an overview as much as I can without getting bogged down in the really nitty gritty details. But, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. things like, say, in the basal cluster, it's easier. You know, if you see it with your own eyes, you just go, oh, yeah, OK, I get that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the junction between the old growth and the new growth. Um Try to describe it is, is somewhat more difficult than just if I say to you, you know, show you a tree and go, that's the bit there. And you go, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. And thank you for going through this with me. So there will be links in the show notes for people to view diagrams. We always like to keep diagrams um, if we can. So was that everything that you had to say about how much we should prune? Or did you have some more stuff to say about that too? Um, well, I mean, how much you should prune, it's a very big question, really. Um, it depends on multiple factors. So it depends on, you know, the tree type. So, you know, there's multiple types of tree, apple tree formation. You get freestanding, you get spalliard, cordon, fan, step over, you know, you get apple arches. There's all sorts of weird, wonderful shapes, types, combinations. Um, so how you prune it will depend on its, its form. It will also depend on the age of the tree because, you know, trees under eight years old are considered immature. They're still in the formative training stage. Um, You know, it's actually recommended not to let any mid to large tree crop under the age of five because it can hamper the future growth and maturity of the tree. Um, So that's putting too much energy into the fruit rather than into growth. Um, Mm. So, you know, a tree under the age of eight is... uh, different from a mature tree, which is more routine pruning. Um, under the age of eight, it, it's going through what you'd call formative pruning to, to get it to the shape you want it to be. Um, and that formative pruning is, is crucial to allow the tree to reach its desired shape and form in the later years, which you know will in turn make sure it's a healthy, vigorous one that fruits well. Um, again, the, the formative pruning depends on the tree form you're trying to achieve, whether that's as we said earlier, whether it's an espalier tree, whether it's a cordon, whether it's a fan, a step over and so on. Um, you know, to me, when I think of it, an apple tree, I, I automatically just, you know, think of a spalliard, but that's because that's what I work with most often. <laughs> I imagine a lot of people, when they think of an apple tree, they probably think of freestanding, you know, a typical upright tree you'd see in an orchard or, or woodland, you know. Um, as you said, Dan, you know, this could almost be a little series in its own, you know, you could almost have a series on how to do formative pruning. You could have a series on different mm. pruning types, you know, different tree types. Um, you know, what's the difference between 
a cordon or a fan or a step over or a spalliard. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's a very big in-depth topic, really. Um, so, you know, I'm just kind of giving a bit of an overview here with you today rather than trying to bog down in an hour-long special on how to do formative pruning of an espalier. <laughs> yeah, no, precisely. And that's what we're looking for as well. Podcasts are good for listening to in the background. So this is the sort of stuff that people listen to when they're doing the dishes, when they're mowing lawns, when they're in the work between jobs. So that's what we aim to do. Every episode, we try and just give like an insight into some part of horticulture. But at the end of the day, we can never make you an expert. You need to, as you said, follow the experts and do what they do. Yeah, well, hopefully it would at least, you know, uh, tickle your interest or maybe make you think, all right, I'll go and have a read up on that or have a wee look into that and see. (laughs) Precisely. So what does the term scaffold mean in this context? Uh, so scaffold really it, it refers to the appearance of the tree in profile from the branch makeup. So scaffold is kind of the formative branches that make up the, the main branches, the main laterals and where the side shoots will appear from. So as we talked about earlier with, say, formative pruning, um, when you've got a new tree, you know, by selectively pruning, you're creating the scaffold. So you're creating the main branches to accommodate the shape that you want. You know, with a with a freestanding tree, you want an open goblet shape, which the only way I can describe is if you hold your hand out and imagine you're holding a big tennis ball. Um, you see a kind of spread <laughs> of your fingers. That's what you want, that sort of shape where it's it's open in the center and branches go out evenly. Um, there's an old an old phrase, an old adage where you where you know we were always told it should be wide enough for a pigeon to pass through it without walloping into the branches. Um, so, you know, scaffold, it, it, like I say, it's the overall shape that you want to create so that from that, you know, your, your shoots can be pruned and, and create your fruit and buds, you know, your spurs. Um, so yeah, that's mainly what it is really. Mm. So obviously there's different shapes and that we can go for and the goblet shape, as you said, is that open shape. I love that about the open hand. I think that's um, the perfect explanation for the shape. So I guess we're allowing lots of airflow in, like you said. Uh, is there anything else that you had to say about shapes and scaffolding? Again, you know, there's so many different types. So the shape will be determined by what type you're trying to create. Um, so as I say, your freestanding will be an open goblet type shape. Um, fan trained would be, you know, like typically against a wall tied into wires you know, a fan shape, again, I'll give you my hand. If you, if you turn your hand around so that you can see the back of your hand and you spread your fingers out as far as you can, that's a fan shape. Um, a spalliard, you're talking about a big central trunk going vertically up and then almost like a ladder uh, coming out from each side every foot or so. You'll see those um, coming out. That's the lateral zone on a spalliard. Cordons are sound of the main stem is sat at a 45-degree angle. Um, uh, step overs say or tend to be very low they're only about a foot off the ground and they go completely verti- uh, horizontally outwards you know you can literally step over them that's why they're called step overs <laughs> makes sense <laughs> um, so it depends you know your, your shape is di- you know it's dictated by what you're trying to achieve um, let's say a lot of people can only really think of a freestanding apple which is tends to be a very big one which is fine if you've got space for it if you've got an orchard 
if you're willing to crack out a ladder to harvest your apples. Um, but, you know, many small urban gardens can quite happily put cordons in or stepovers and, and gain their fruit from that by putting in a tree that's specifically designed to maximize the crop from uh, a small area. So that's kind of the beauty of specialist formative types like, you know, cordons, you know, uh, espaliers, that kind of thing, fans. You know, they're designed to take up little space but give you a big crop. Mm. And if you've already got a wall there, you know, you may as well put something flat up against it. Well, it's probably more interesting than ivy, isn't it? (laughs) Probably. So (laughs) I guess when I look, when I was trained in pruning, not that I've been trained to any extraordinary level, but ABC was a term that was, has been taught to me. This is in amenity pruning, mind you. Is ABC still relevant in apple tree pruning? Uh, a- ABC, I have to say it wasn't an acronym that I used a whole lot, but I have heard of it. Um, so, you know, the ABC, I'm guessing, is, is you know, assess the overall tree and shape. Uh, the B was branches or bad branches and things like that uh, and and the sea was competing crossing branches suckers that kind of thing um one of the terms i do use all the time and, and a bit more that might fall under the the b section for branches would be uh dealing with the three d's so sorry not to confuse everyone with so many acronyms but, <laughs> um the three d's we always use with you know uh fruit pruning which is dead dying and diseased um there's there's debate about which order you should do it in. I've had people argue all the time about whether you do the disease first, then the dead, then the dying, or the damaged, you know, or, or whatnot. But um, basically, uh, I, I it doesn't greatly matter. You know, when you first start pruning, you do the 3Ds first. Um, again, I, I actually know it as, as dead, damaged, and diseased. Um, but, you know, dying... If something is damaged, I suppose it is dying, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've always been taught damaged so, too, but dying is the same. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it is damaged rather than dying. But um, what the main thing in is, is you know, like I say, like I was saying earlier, is is really making sure that you sterilize your, your equipment. So, you know, we tend to do the damaged first uh, and then we'll do the dead. And even then, I tend to sterilize after the dead because you don't necessarily know what caused it to die. It could be diseased and you just don't know it. Um, Mm. And then lastly, we do the diseased. And let's say you have to make sure you thoroughly clean uh, your your equipment after that so that when you're about to start pruning anything healthy, you're not passing on diseased stuff to the healthy tissue. I have had people, you know, experts who say they always do their normal pruning first then do the 3ds at the end for that reason um so that they're doing the disease last and less likely to pass anything around but you know to me uh i tend to systematically go through the trees i literally start at one end of the garden and work my way through them to get to the end so you know if i do the diseased on a tree last then i'm jumping straight onto healthy tissue on the next tree so you know, for me, it doesn't really matter. The main thing is making sure that you sterilize and clean your equipment so that you aren't passing anything on uh, between the trees and especially not between two different sets of trees. Um, so, you know, um, other than your, your ABC, you know, taking a step back, assessing it and seeing the overall shape, seeing you're happy with it, maybe seeing 
what needs you know as we talked about winter pruning it's a good chance to look at the tree in its entirety without foliage being in the road um you know assessing it will give you a chance to see maybe is there a bit of wood missing or you know can we tie in some of this new growth so that it allows the tree to keep expanding you know if we've got a tree and it's not quite filling the wall we want the entire wall filled so new growth at the ends of the lateral branches rather than pruning that back we tend to bend it down and tie it in so that it will keep growing and lignifying and you know extend the branch if you like um we also kind of mentioned suckers there under the competing section for the sea um so anybody that doesn't know suckers basically come from the base rootstock below the graft union so you know, apple trees, you know, roses, these type of things, they tend to be grafted. So that's where you have the scion, which is a selected apple cultivar. You know, the uh, let's say, for example, James Grieve. That tends to be grafted onto a more vigorous but less desirable types, uh, such as, you know, a Jeune de Metz, which, you know, might be better known as an M9, Malin 9 rootstock. Um, so, you know, you're grafting your scion onto a rootstock and the suckers our growth from the rootstock coming out, you tend to see them either coming from the base of the tree or poking up through the soil. Um, you don't want them. They're kind of sapping vigor from the tree. Um, what you tend to do is you're better to pull them off rather than cut them off. Um, if you cut them off, they tend to just come back in thicker. You know, I, I like to think of it as like doing your eyebrows. You know, you're better to pluck your eyebrows rather than shave them. So if you shave them, they come back in thicker. Mm-hmm. It's the same with the rootstock suckers. Um you're kind of better to kind of dig it back and then hand pull them off and they tend to stay at bay a lot longer than if you just prune them. Uh, it's, it, you know, the temptation is there to just prune them because it takes seconds, but <laughs> it's not the, the better way to do it, if you like. Um, again, competing in crossing branches, yeah, under the sea, that's, that's correct. So you don't want branches crossing because they have a tendency to then rub and rubbing will create open wounds, which, you know, rot or dieback can occur or, or leave it vulnerable to disease. Um, and also, you know, if we were talking about, say, our espaliered apple again, um, you don't really want anything pointing in towards the wall because if it's strained along the wall, fruit sat against the wall will rot or it will, you know, again, mm. rub. And it's not... Really, it also tends to not do so well against the wall. It doesn't get the same level of light and airflow. Um, so we always try and make sure that when we're pruning, we keep everything front facing so that it's it's got the opportunity for that space to grow, you know, the light and air and things like that. And um, as you say, you'll notice the shape as well. When you stand back and look, it should look neat. It should look uniform. It should look hopefully symmetrical. Um so you don't want those crossing branches. You know you don't want the suckers coming out the bases. You don't want anything that's damaged or got dieback or that kind of thing. So. I see. Uh, are there any other sort of good contenders for removal? Is there any other anything else that would sort of stand out for you? Mm, well, with apples and pears, it isn't so necessarily similar to, like, say, plums, where you might want to remove older wood to invigorate new growth. Um, you know, with, with apples and pears, I would only say that you're wanting to remove unproductive branches if you're definitely sure that you have performed proper pruning and they're still not being productive. And more often than not on an apple and pear tree, if it's an unproductive branch, it's just because it hasn't been pruned properly, really. 
um, in which case you might want to start to perform restorative pruning, which is, you know, kind of hardback pruning and then letting new growth occur. And then you can start doing the forming the fruit and spurs thereafter. Um, you know, with, with plums and things like that, they're, you know, and a lot of other fruit and, you know, especially fruit bushes, there's the kind of old rule of taking a third of the oldest growth out and then that allows new growth to come in, the fruits and things like that. Um, it's not so much the case with apples and pears. I mean, we have trees that are over a century old, you know, over a hundred years old, uh, and they fruit very well. You know, they fruit every year, no problem. Um, so, you know, those lateral branches and the fruit and spurs on there could be a fair age. So, um, no, I can't think of any really other good candidates to be removed, as you were saying. No. That's good. That's what we're looking for. In episode 96 with Gary Moran, we were talking about the difference between like different places along the branch you can cut, right? So you can cut to a fork and you can sort of cut the mother branch, which is a selective heading cut back to a fork so that the new branch becomes the new leader or we can cut that other lateral branch coming off at the mother branch that's called a removal cut Mm -hmm. or we can also just non-selectively cut just to anywhere or whatever and that's going to create a different type of growth are these rules still applicable here in apple tree pruning um well i mean it it depends on the pruning you're doing as, as we sort of said earlier so you know, if it, it, it would be different if you're pruning formatively or whether you're just removing a bad, a bad branch or, you know, you're perhaps cutting out a section of damage or diseased area. You know, if you're removing a whole branch like you might do in formative pruning or, you know, if, if a branch is really kind of unwell, um, then you'd be kind of cutting it back to the nearest um, branch collar, you know, your, your branch collar. Is kind of again maybe a random example, but if you imagine your your stomach and your chest is the main trunk of a branch, and you stick your arm out horizontally at forty five degrees, the branch collar would be where your armpit is. Um, so you know if you're removing a whole branch, you'd be kind of taking it back there to the branch collar. Um, if you're just removing a bit of damage or disease, then what you tend to be doing is cutting it back to the first sort of outward facing bud or node of healthy tissue. Um, if you prune uh, a little section back and you have a look on the inside of what you've just pruned, um, you'll see the cambium tissue. So if it's brown and dry looking, you know, it's dead. Uh, you know, if it, if it's green and there's perhaps streaks of brown or black bits, you know, that, that could be a sign that you've got disease or it's dying back. Um, so what you want to do is prune back to where it's fully green, you know, that way, you know, it's healthy, there's, there's sap and nutrient flow happening. Um, and then once you've pruned, so you know you're, you're at the healthy section again, then you're taking it to that outward facing bud to allow new growth to come on. Because as, as we say, you don't really want a bud facing the wrong way or facing a wall um, or facing in towards the scaffold of the tree. Um it, it, it's much easier on younger wood to tell, you know, uh, what's healthy and what's not, because when you cut into it, you'll see the green cambium very obviously on, on a young piece of wood. It could be a bit harder on older wood because, you know, older, more mature wood can look brown because, you know, it, it's lignified. It's got cork cambium. Um, it can still be healthy, even though it's brown. You know, it's just one of those things that takes a bit of kind of practice and a bit of know-how to kind of look at and, and know what's what's going on there. Um 
so your, your your pruning depends on what you're doing, really. Um, from what you were saying, that that sounds quite uh, a lot like you know, kind of woodland trees, amenity trees, that kind of thing. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, totally, exactly that sort of stuff. So um, I guess moving on now, how do you recommend like moving those larger branches? So let's say you know we've got we do have an unproductive branch. It's quite old. It's quite thick. Do we just get out the saw and just start hacking from the top or do we need to think about how we're going to stop the bark from stripping when we cut something a bit bigger? Yeah, yeah, you absolutely need to think about it. Um, it's important to remember with any large branch, um, they have a thing called tension and compression. So tension, if you imagine there's a branch just hanging above the ground, the tension will be on the upper side of the branch. You know, the compression would be the lower side if you start cutting in from, you know, going from the bottom upwards. Um, if you just start cutting in from the bottom going upwards, um, when you get about halfway through, three quarters of the way through, the branch will just fold and you'll get the saw stuck, which is no use. <laughs> if you go the other side and you want to cut it just straight from the top down, what you'll find is that you're likely to get halfway through, three quarters of the way through, and the branch will just swing down and it'll tear undesirably. It'll tear further down the branch than you want. Um, and that's obviously... A big problem if you cause the tear to go right back past the branch collar and into the main stem you know you can cause a big wound that can cause you know die back or you know it's vulnerable to disease then in the whole main trunk which could kill the whole tree um so to avoid that uh what you really need to do is to remove some of the weight from the branch first and we tend to do that by doing a thing called a jump cut so a jump cut is where you go further along the branch um, you know, maybe a foot, two foot back from where you're, you're wanting your final cut to be. Um, what you do is you kind of cut 50% of the way through and then you move just a little bit further back and cut 50% of the way through from the top. So, you know, first cut's 50% from the bottom, second cut's 50% away from the top. And then what you'll notice, the branch will just kind of fall cleanly off. You know, ideally make sure there's nobody underneath you. Um <laughs> And then that leaves you with <laughs> that leaves you with your branch, which you can then do your your final clean cut near to the branch collar, uh, without kind of fear of it um, tearing. Um, you know, when when you're talking tension and compression, what you normally do is you take some of the cut, you know, maybe a quarter, even up to a half of the branch is cut through the tension side just to take some of the tension off, and then you can take the from the other side from the compression or, or vice versa um i don't know there could be an arborist out there going like what's this guy talking about but uh, <laughs> you know i know what i mean and it's kind of essentially you want to take the weight off the branch before you're performing your final cut where you where you the final position you want it to be near the branch collar um like i said the biggest no-no is you don't want to just hack into that branch and then the branch tears and then it causes you know a big wound on the main trunk. Um, that's kind of one of the worst things that can happen. Mm, absolutely. So when you're talking about tension and compression, I guess if you think about a long branch, you know, it's quite heavy, especially as it gets out towards the tips. And the top of it is, it's, it's almost like the top of it stretching and the bottom of it's sort of getting pressed into each other as that weight um, is, is that's just the mechanics of how that weight is dealt. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now the, the, the mechanics sort of changes when you have something on the ground though, doesn't it? Because if the force of the ground 
is pushing up against the the branch, then suddenly the the rules are reversed, so the tension is on the bottom and the compression is on the top. Absolutely, yeah, that, that's a, a great way to describe it. I was trying to think of how best to describe the tension and compression, but like you said, it's variable depending on where the source of the um, pressure, the source of the, the tension would stem from. Mm. If you like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. So, okay, we've pruned the tree now. We're looking at it. What else do we need to do now after we've pruned to get lots of flowers that turn into a ton of fruit? So basically after you've done all your your pruned elements, um, so what you can do really, uh, it's worth always keeping an eye out on the apples during the course of the year. Times of drought, they may need a very deep watering. Uh, Dry conditions can cause cracking in apples that can then rot or scab and be very generally unpleasant, you know. Um, Being dry will also cause leaf curl, which will affect photosynthesis, uh, may cause fruit to drop off prematurely, um, and the tree will struggle to kind of keep on pumping out those vital nutrient resources that will give you that big juicy apple. Um, It's also always worth keeping an eye out for pest and disease issues that may impact on the trees. Um, Mm. Things like codlin moth larvae, they they tend to bore into the apples and eat the insides and cause rot, which, you know, if you imagine biting into an apple, it's kind of maggoty and rotten. So, um, you know, nobody wants to bite into that apple that's full of frass, you know, uh, frass is kind of the polite name for caterpillar poop. Um, So, you know, you you have to kind of keep an eye out for pest and disease. Um, You know, you can control codlin moth by putting out pheromone traps in may that'll stop the males mating with the females so much um you know there's ways and means of dealing you know you get pathogenic uh, nematodes that can be sprayed onto the stems and soil drenches um you know other than that um things like you know you could always use organic contact insecticides like you know natural pyrethrins or that kind of thing could be used to treat with it um of course as you were saying you know it's always good to feed and mulch that's beneficial to the tree um, we tend to use things like we'll speak to the local farmer and get some well-rotted pig or cow manure. Uh, you know, you can also use horse manure, chicken manure. Um, the main thing is it, it has to be well-rotted. So you typically want it to be said rotten for at least six months. Um, I was always told a good sign that uh, your manure is, is perfect and ready to use is when you start getting those heaps of nettles growing out of it, you know, uh, the article. Hmm. Um, that's a sign that it's it's prime and ready for for use. Um, so what what we tend to do is we would give uh, the tree a very deep water and then mulch it because um, the mulch will re- help retain the water and also trap the heat. And you know, plants love bottom heat in the roots because it it just uh, speeds up all those processes for you know, nutrient gathering. Um, so we would typically kind of do that about you know, spring to autumn, you, you basically, anytime after a leaf burst, you know, um, you kind of want to avoid putting on any content that will cause high nutrients uh, for nitrogen, you know, because if, if you put it on too early in the year up here where we are, um, adding a heap of nitrogen would cause big sappy leafy growth. And, you know, if you get snow or frost, like as we do in, in unpredictable Scottish weather, um that can cause damage to the trees. You know, it's, it's similar with our hedges. We try not to feed them 
too early because if you feed them too early it puts on that sappy growth that's easily damaged and easily attacked by you know aphids and and, and uh, pests and that kind of thing brilliant thanks so much scott so i guess we just have one more question left mate is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about um, well, apple pruning, it's a, it's a very wide in-depth topic. You know, we've only really just kind of scratched the surface, Dan. Um, as I said earlier, it, it's always great and best really ideally to have a, a practice, you know, preferably with a, a professional to guide you. Um, if you've got your own garden, though, and you're not going to upset anyone, then go right ahead, give it a crack, you know, see how you get on. Um, I'm very unfortunate. Uh, unfortunate? I mean, I'm very fortunate. <laughs> very fortunate. Uh, to look after the wonderful property of Pitmedden Garden, which, you know, has 130 varieties of apple. Uh, we've got all sorts of shapes and sizes. You know, we've got big, small, waxy, juicy, dry, sweet, tart. Um, some of my personal favorites we grow include Katie. Uh, Katie's a dessert apple. It's got juicy, really sweet flesh, you know, shiny red skin. Kids love that one. You know, it's a real snow white apple. Um Egremont Russet is a favourite. It's got quite a unique, dry, uh, slightly tart licorice tang. Um, and for Alexa Kukin, uh, I love Peas Good Nonsuch. You know, they are monstrously large in size, but they can also be eaten fresh. Um, you know, what I like to do is kind of combine a bit of Peas Good Nonsuch with a more tart apple, like a Bradley Seedlin. You get really, really good apple pie or apple crumble. Um and as I was saying, you know, anybody interested, we host our annual Apple Sunday event the last Sunday in September at Pimenton Garden. Uh, this year, that'll be Sunday the 25th of September. All the varieties that we grow are uh, bagged and graded, available for sale. Uh, it's an all-day event. You know, there's there's other things going on during that day. You know, we, we do have uh, people selling bakes and sweet treats. We tend to have music. Last year, we had harpists. Uh, sometimes we have uh, fiddlers and things like that. Um Tends to be little events on for the kids. You know, we have our rangers doing bug trails and, um, you know, it's a real, it's the main event day, I would say, for, for mm. Pimenton Garden. It all revolves around the apples. Sounds like fun, dude. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate your time, mate. No, no, thank you very much again for having me, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Plants Grow Here podcast. If you're like me, you're going to forget a lot of this information by this time next week. So put a reminder in your calendar to give it a second listen in a few weeks. That way you'll actually retain much of the wisdom Scott's just dropped on us. You should do the same for every single episode of Plants Grow Here, by the way. I know there's a lot of them, but if you chuck them on when you get in the car, when you do the dishes, and when you're doing repetitive tasks at work, you'll be surprised how quickly you get through them.